Welcome to the Realizing Romans class. This is going to be a special class, seeing as today is Passover. So, Chag Sameach Pesach, which means Happy Passover to everyone. So, we're going to look at Passover through the lens of the book of Romans. What does Romans have to say about Passover, if anything? So, I thought a good place to start would be what we know as the Romans Road to Salvation. Now, the Romans road is a big problem if you're trying to witness to a Jewish person because they don't acknowledge the New Testament as God's word. That's a Christian book. It has nothing to do with us, they think. So there is something called the Jerusalem road, which uses passages all from the Old Testament that basically correlates to the Romans road and means the exact same thing. But I think that we could successfully kind of merge the Romans road with Exodus 12 because I think there's a lot of uh, Exodus or a lot of the Romans road that can be found within Exodus chapter 12. So that's what we're going to be exploring today. So before we go any further, let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this feast of yours. It's not a Hebrew feast. It's not a Jewish feast. And in Leviticus 23, it says it's a feast of the Lord. So anyone who is connected to the Lord. The God of Israel, it's our feast. It's their feast. So, Lord, we thank you for the Passover, for what it meant in the past, you know, for the deliverance from Egyptian bondage and Egyptian slavery, where Israel crossed the Red Sea and became its own nation. We thank you for what Passover means. We also thank you for the spiritual implications of what it means through Messiah Yeshua. That during the Passover season, it was when Yeshua died on the cross and became the Passover lamb on our behalf. And that didn't deliver us from physical bondage, but it delivered us from spiritual bondage, the spiritual bondage of sin. So we thank you and we praise you for the full meaning of Passover. And we thank you that we're going to celebrate Passover once we enter the kingdom of God on the other side in heaven. Because Yeshua himself said, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine again. I will not participate in the Passover Seder again until it has come into its fullness in the kingdom of God. So we're going to have one big Passover Seder once we get to heaven. And that's going to be so awesome. And we thank you for that. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just open up and prime and prepare our hearts and minds for what we're about to learn and experience regarding the Passover through the book of Romans. Lord, we love you and we praise you, and we ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Now, I remember the Romans Road was one of the first set of memory verses that I memorized as a child. Uh, and I remember memorizing them, and a bunch of us who had memorized the Romans Road had to stand up in front of the entire congregation and recite the Romans Road from memory, and all the adults were so proud and clapped, and we received some sort of, I don't know, certificate or something to acknowledge this. Uh, that on top of John 3.16. Who doesn't know John 3.16? Even people who don't go to church know John 3.16. Uh, so the Romans Road, uh, a lot of you probably already know. So let's go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 3, verse starting at verse 23. Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23, for some of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Oh, oh there you go. Thank you. Good catch. For all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God. See, I misquote verses on purpose to keep you guys on your toes, to make sure that you're listening, and to make it so that you're not afraid to question a teacher. You're not afraid to question authority because we have to be accountable just like you guys have to be accountable. So it says, for all have sinned, and the word sin means the, it's an archery term. It means to miss the bullseye, to miss the target. So when you're sinning, you're actually aiming for something. You're aiming for a goal, and that goal is God's commandments, what God deems is right. So if you hit the bullseye, you're keeping God's commandments. But if you fall short and you miss the mark, you're sinning. So that's what, what the word sin means. It means to miss the mark. For all have sinned and fall short. And that word fall short kind of reminds you of that archery term because when an arrow falls short, it doesn't hit the bullseye. It hits somewhere else or hits on the ground. Kind of like basketball. Either you go through the hoop or it's an air ball, right? So it's kind of the, it's a, kind of the same thing. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So when we obey God, we are glorifying God through our obedience. Verse 24. They are set right as a gift of his grace through the redemption that is in Messiah Yeshua. Redemption. Why do we need redeemed? Redemption. If you drive that way a few clicks, you're going to run into the redemption center. What are you redeeming? You're exchanging aluminum cans, plastic bottles for money. You're redeeming those cans for money. So we need we needed redeemed. We were going to be thrown away. We were going to be thrown away into the lake of fire, into hell. That's where we were headed. And then God redeemed us. It's like he snatched us and saved us and rescued us from that could have been fate of ours. So... They are set right as gifts of his grace. We don't deserve his redemption. It's his gift. It's his grace. It's his favor. It's his prerogative to redeem us. They are set right as gifts of his grace through the redemption that is in Messiah Yeshua. Now, why could, why could Yeshua redeem us? Because he was the perfect lamb of God, right? So when I go to the redemption center, what they're going to give me in exchange for an aluminum can is what that aluminum can is worth in monetary value. Whether it's five cents or 50 cents, whatever, that's what I'm going to receive and I'm, because it's an equal exchange. So in order for Yeshua to redeem us, we are human beings. Therefore, he had to be human. But he just couldn't be human because being a human falls short of the glory of God just by being born a human because we're sinful. We're born into sin. We've inherited the sin disease, if you will, from Adam. So he had to be a perfect human being, and he could only be a perfect human being if he was born as God in the flesh. Because God is perfect. He never sinned. So that's how he can redeem us. He can redeem us because he's perfect. He's 100% God to have the power to redeem. But he's 100% man in order to have that right to redeem us, to be that fair exchange, that kinsman redeemer. As gifts of his grace through the redemption that, it is, that is in Messiah Yeshua. God set forth Yeshua as an atonement. And that English word atonement is interesting. You break it up at one -ment. When we are atoned, we are at one with God. At one -ment. Atonement. God set forth Yeshua as atonement through faith. All we have to do is believe. 
We don't have to jump through hoops, perform weird, odd rituals. All we have to do is believe, not just intellectually, because I can believe something intellectually, but if I don't believe it in my heart, really doesn't mean anything. So the faith is taking action on that intellectual belief. So it's the illustration that I've given before. If I've been poisoned, but I have the antidote sitting in front of me, I can believe intellectually that that antidote is going to save me. But if I don't take that antidote, I don't act on faith and actually take it and down it, I'm going to die. So faith is the action behind the belief. God set forth Yeshua as atonement through faith in his blood. See, it's the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Leviticus 17.11. And I've given it for you as a, an atonement for your souls because it is, is the blood that is the life. So it's Yeshua's blood that was in exchanged for our blood, his life in exchange for our life. Through faith in his blood to show his righteousness in passing over sins already committed. Interesting word, passing over sins already committed. He can pass over the sins because the sins have been covered by the blood. They can be passed over. They, they, won't, they won't even be seen because they're covered by the blood. Through faith in his blood to show his righteousness in passing over sins already committed. Uh, we'll read one more verse here and then we'll go to uh, Exodus. Through God's forbearance, he demonstrated his righteousness at the present time that he himself is just and also the justifier of the ones who put their trust or put their faith in Yeshua. So we can correlate Romans 3, 23 through 26 to Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. Now Adonai spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month will mark the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year for you. So if you know anything about the Hebrew calendar, we already have a problem. The first of the month, according to scripture, is the first of Nisan. That's the first month of, on the Hebrew calendar. But yet, the Hebrew year starts in Tishri. That's in the fall. So what's the deal? Think of it this way. Just as there is a January 1st secular new year, in business practice, there's something that's called the fiscal year. And that fiscal year could be anywhere in the year. It could be in May. It could be in April. It could be in June. Whatever the fiscal year of that business is. So there is, as if there's a fiscal year for the Jewish calendar and a, um, a civil year for the Jewish calendar. So you can kind of think of it this way. Yes? Is that like when the beginning of the scripture started? Like, because for a fiscal year, it's usually generally when the business had like started. It's the anniversary of that. The same thing with that? Well, in a sense, because the Torah cycle starts over in Tishri on the Rosh Hashanah, on Yom Teruah, on the Feast of Trumpets. So we begin the Torah reading over again. So, yeah, that's kind of a good analogy. But as far as the liturgical, spiritual calendar, so to speak, and uh, it says here that this month marks the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, which is today, <laughs> we're actually on that day. So that's why we're starting at 6 o'clock before the sun goes down. So we're technically still keeping Passover on the 14th of Nisan. So, um, well, you know, it's not the 10th of the month. It's the 14th um, or whatever. This is the 14th. But it says it is to be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th, day of this month, each man is to take a lamb 
for his family, one man for his household. So it was on the 10th day of the month of Tishri that we could say that Yeshua started being inspected by the religious authorities. Because when the lamb was taken into a home on the 10th of, of Nisan, the reason it was taken in early is so that they could keep an eye on that lamb to make sure that there was nothing wrong with it. It didn't have any, it didn't have a cold, it, did, it wasn't sick, it wasn't blind, it wasn't lame, it wasn't deaf, it didn't have any scabs or scratches, or it wasn't blemished in any way. So a careful inspection through those days from the 10th to the 14th took place. And that is when Yeshua, the Lamb of God, was scrutinized by the religious authorities when he entered Jerusalem during the triumphal entry and he cleansed the temple. He was being closely watched and inspected. So that's the 10th of Tishri, or the 10th of Nisan, I should say. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one lamb for household. There was only one lamb for the household of Israel, and that's Yeshua, the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world. He was sufficient for the entire household of Israel. But if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor are to take one according to the number of people. According to each person uh, to each person eating, you are to make your count for the lamb. So it's basically how much people could eat. Because the point was there wasn't to be any lamb left over. Your lamb is to be without blemish, a year-old male. So a year-old male is when... Uh, a lamb was uh, a lamb was considered going into its like fertile adulthood kind of stage to where it could reproduce. You are to take it from the sheep or from the goats. That's interesting. We focus on the lamb, we focus on the sheep, but a goat was just as viable. And it's a goat that's used during the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur sacrifice. So that's kind of an interesting parallel too. You must watch over it until the 14th day of the same month. So today is the 14th of Nisan. So the 14th day of the month is Passover. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to slaughter it at twilight. They are to take the blood and put it on the two doorposts on the cross beams of the house where they will eat, where they will eat it. So when Yeshua died, he died during the exact same time the Passover lambs were being slaughtered in the temple precincts. So that's kind of interesting. He was dying on the cross right when the Passover lambs were being slaughtered at the temple. So there's a good parallel there. They are to take the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the cross beams of the house. Now, the threshold of a house or the doorpost of a house was actually the very first altar. Usually in ancient times, the doorpost would have like a little indention in the side, and that's where you poured libation offerings of wine or oil, or you would put meat or whatever. So one of the first altars was the threshold. So you're kind of going back to that threshold idea, that altar threshold idea, where the blood was placed on the doorpost. And the way it was placed on the doorpost, it's kind of interesting too, because what did Yeshua die on? He died on a cross, which his blood was on a cross beam as well. So you have that parallel and that analogy there too. They are to eat the meat that night roasted over the fire. Roasted over the fire. Now, it's interesting the way that the Passover lamb was was roasted. It was roasted on a cross. Its legs were crossed and tied to the pole, 
but because the innards were removed or were exposed, it was split from the chest down. And so to keep that open, the arms would be tied back to a separate pole. So it looked like the lamb was being crucified. It looked like the lamb was on a cross. And then they would take the entrails and wrap it around the head, which kind of makes you think of a crown of thorns. So the lamb was actually a cruciform lamb, if you will. They are to eat the meat that night, roasted over the fire with matzah or matzot, which is unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Bitter herbs is to be understood as horseradish. They are to eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled with water, but only roasted over the fire. Its head with its legs and innards. So there's that, you know, the innards being around the head. So exact. Yes. And that's the thing about God. He he doesn't really leave anything to speculation. He's very specific when he commands something. So let none of it remain until morning. That's why they had to ration out the lamb carefully to make sure that everybody could eat one lamb. And if there was too much for one family, they brought in a neighbor, a neighboring family so that they could eat the whole lamb and nothing would be left over. So none of it is to remain until the morning. Whatever remains until morning, you are to burn with fire. It's, it's interesting, too, because Yeshua, when he died, his remains were put into the tomb for three days and three nights. But in the spiritual realm, he descended into hell. So it, you kind of see a little analogy there where the leftover lamb is burnt with fire. If there's any of it left over, you need to burn it up. You can't have it left over because having it left over would be very disgraceful. It's the same principle as burying a dead body. If you don't like somebody and it's your enemy, you just shoot them dead on the battlefield and you just leave them there. You don't care what happens. You don't care if the buzzards pick their bones clean. It's nothing to you. But if you love that individual and have respect for that person and that body, you're going to bury it within a 24-hour period if you can. So that's kind of the analogy there that when a, when a sacrifice was left over too long, after a certain period of time, it was considered bad. So whatever you sacrifice become invalid. The sacrifice you perform several days before, if it's left over and not eaten by a certain time, is considered null and void. It's considered as if you didn't even offer a sacrifice. So that's why Yeshua had to be buried at a certain time uh, because of this principle. So let none of it remain until morning. Whatever remains until morning, you are to burn with fire. You are also to eat this way with your loins girded, which means uh, be ready to move. We don't understand what girding your loins mean, but everybody wore like robes back then. So robes were very difficult if you had to run fast. Well, they had to get out of Dodge out of Egypt really fast. So they had to gird their loins and to gird your loins, you would take the bottom hem of your robe, hike it up between your legs and tuck it in your belt. That freed up your legs so you could run. So that's why the Passover was to be eaten with their loins girded because they were getting ready to move. They were exiting Egypt. Uh, all right. Verse 11. You were to eat it this way. Your loins girded, your shoes on your feet. Yeah, your shoes on your feet. You've got to have shoes if you're going to go over a rocky, rough terrain, right? And your staff in your hand. Don't want you stumbling as you're running away. Your staff in your hand. You are to eat it in haste. In other words, eat it quickly. It is Adonai's Passover. We don't eat the Passover quickly now because when they had to eat the first Passover, they were still slaves. 
They couldn't eat it in freedom, so they had to eat it in a hurry. But when we read about the Last Supper, the last Passover Seder Yeshua experienced, it said that they were reclining. They were leaning. In other words, they were taking their time with this meal because they were free men. They were no longer slaves. So now we enjoy the Passover by taking our time and, and savoring it, not eating in a, in a rush like the first Passover was. You are to eat it in haste. It is Adonai's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will execute judgment against the gods of Egypt. I am Adonai. So the plagues specifically targeted part of the pantheon of Egypt. Each plague defeated one or more of the Egyptian gods uh, because it showed Adonai's power over that pantheon. And so the coup de grace, the, the, the big cheese, was the Egyptian god over life and death. And that was the one that was conquered um, with the death of the firstborn. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt. I am Adonai. Uh, okay, we're going to stop right there. So we can see how Romans 3, uh, 23 through 26, correlates very well with Exodus 12, 1 through 13. So the next stop on the Romans road would be Romans 6, 23. Romans 6.23. Most of us probably have that memorized too. Now the King James says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Tree of Life version says, For sin's payment is death. I kind of like that better. You know, wages, we still kind of use that word, but it's more of a King James word. And we don't really think about wages, but what are wages? Wages is something you get paid for. You get a job somewhere, you get paid wages at the end of the week or at the end of two weeks or at the end of the month. You, you, you pay, you get paid to work. So when you sin, there's a payment that goes with sin. You're paying for something. You're paying for sin. You're paying for your kicks and jollies, uh, your fleshly fulfillment regarding your sin. But it's not the fulfillment and the payment that you're expecting or that you're wanting. For sin's payment is death. I don't want to be paid in death, do you? <laughs> that's, not a, that's not a good payment. Hey, I just want to get my kicks and jollies by sinning. I don't want to die because of it. Well, sorry, that's the payment. That's the price of sin. For sin's payment is death. But God's gracious gift is eternal life. It's the opposite. In Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. Now, to correlate this, we go back to Exodus chapter 12, focusing on verse 6. You must watch over it, that is the Passover lamb, until the 14th day of the same month. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to slaughter it at twilight. Now, think about that. You bring this lamb for four days into your house. You, you're, you're around it all the time. You see it all the time. Now, I know us adults, we try to act like we don't get attached to stuff, especially us men. So, like, I remember my, my uh, mom got a dog. My dad acted like he hated that thing. <laughs> Didn't want nothing to do with it. But when nobody was looking, he thought nobody was looking, he was all petting it and all sweet to that dog. He really loved that dog. So, yeah, you know, guys have to keep up a front, right? So, 
But if this lamb is in your house for four days, you can't help but get attached to it, especially the kids. Petting the lamb for four days. The lamb's probably sleeping in their bed. They're outside playing with the lamb. Right? You get attached to it. And so just keep that in mind as we're reading this. So it says, um, whoops. You must watch over it until the 14th day of the same month. The whole assembly of Israel is to slaughter it at twilight. Uh-oh. I just got attached to this thing. Now I've got to kill it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not sure if the whole family had to witness it, but I'm sure to, to bring a point the, pro, the, the, uh, the point across of what the Passover lane was all about, I'm sure that the kids did watch. Yeah. If they didn't watch, they heard what was going on. I'm sure many a fight happened over with those kids and parents. Probably. I mean, I'm sure the kids were crying and snotting over the lamb. I mean, lambs could have been pets. To a certain degree back in the day, because you remember the story where uh, David committed adultery with Bathsheba and Nathan the prophet came and said, hey, David, I got something. I got to bring something to your attention. Oh, this is going to tick you off. It's going to fire you up. Get this. There's this guy. And, and the only thing he has is this little female lamb, this little you lamb. And it's like a little daughter to him. He feeds it. It's at his table. It sleeps on its chest. And then this big honcho rich guy next door, too lazy to slaughter his own lamb, comes over and kidnaps that lamb and kills it. David's like, whoa, why let me at this guy? I'm going to kill this guy. I'll murderize him. He's like, wait a second, David. You're the man. And he was relating that to killing Uriah, sending the letter to the general on the front line to say, put Uriah in the front of battle so that he'd die. He killed Bathsheba's lamb. And so David was guilty. So that kind of helps put in perspective this Passover lamb as well. Okay, slaughtered at twilight. They are to take the blood and put it on the doorpost. Could you imagine slaughtering that lamb? And the way it was slaughtered was a kosher slaughter is cutting the jugular from ear to ear. That is in one swift, quick motion with the sharpest edge that you could ever put on a knife. And so the blood just gushes out, and it's almost as if the lamb falls asleep. It's so sharp, it doesn't even feel the incision. And just imagine seeing that lamb slowly drift away, knowing that it was never going to wake up again. And you're thinking, I killed this lamb. And you're seeing the blood. Blood does something to a person. I mean, serial killers are immune to it, but if you've ever killed something and it was your first time killing something and blood is on your hands, it freaks you out a little bit. You're in the bathroom scrubbing as hard as you can wanting to get that off, and it's, it's playing some kind of mind game with you because the life of the flesh is in the blood. And so just imagine how the Israelites felt when this lamb was slaughtered. And uh, so, okay, we'll move on. So it's slaughtered at twilight. And you take the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the crossbeams of the house where they will eat it. They are to eat that night roasted over the fire with matzot, unleavened bread, bitter herbs. They are to eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled with water, but only roasted over the fire. Its head with its legs and its innards. So we already talked about the cruciform lamb and how... Uh, this lamb looked when it was being roasted. It looked like the lamb was being crucified, just like Jesus looked when he was on the cross. But this lamb, another thing that was done is when anything was sacrificed, you put your hand on the head of what was being sacrificed. You just didn't place your hand. You pressed your hand. 
So everybody remembers the game Cooties, right? On the school playground, you're running around, you tap somebody and say, you got cooties, ah, he's got cooties, and you run from them. And that person has cooties until they're able to touch somebody else, and then that other person has cooties. And they're free of the cooties, right? So it's if you imagine putting your hands on the sacrifice, think of cooties as sin. So symbolically, your sin is being transferred to the head of this lamb. Now the lamb has sin cooties. And that's why you have to kill the lamb, because the lamb can't touch anybody else or they'll get the sin cooties kind of thing. So that's why the lamb has to, to, to die to pay for that payment of sin cooties. And I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I do like to be a little comical if I can. So when the lamb was slaughtered, the Israelites were saying, this lamb died because of me. This, this lamb, its death is my fault. It had to die because of me, because of my sins and my family's sins. Okay. Uh, do not eat in... Okay, we already read that. Uh, okay, let's go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrated his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Messiah died for us. How much more then, having now been, uh, been set right by the blood, by his blood, shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? The Passover lamb was to keep the wrath of the, the plague of death. From coming to the Israelites. The lamb had to die and the blood had to be applied to the door in order for death to pass over that particular dwelling, to pass over that house. But God demonstrated his love towards us. Every time I, I read this, I think of a wartime situation. There's a bunch of guys in a foxhole. They train together. You know, they were, they were a band of brothers. They were closer than family. They've been in war situations. They've saved each other's butts hundreds of times. They're in a foxhole, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes this grenade right in the middle. Oh, no, what are we going to do? One guy decides to jump on that grenade. He gives his life because he wants his other brothers to be able to go home to their families after the war is over. He would rather die so that his brothers could live. And so this is the way God demonstrated his love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Messiah jumped on the grenade for us. Messiah died for us. How much more, having now been set right by his blood, shall we be saved from the wrath through him? So the blood of the lamb spared Israel from the wrath of death, just like Yeshua's blood spares us from the wrath of the second death, the eternal death, hell. Okay, moving on to the next part of Romans Road would be Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, starting with verse 9. For if you confess with your mouth that Yeshua is Lord and believe in your heart, not just your head, but your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. No bones about it. You will be saved. For with the heart, it is believed for righteousness, 
and with the mouth it is confessed for salvation. For the scripture says, whoever trusts in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, richly generous to all who call on him. So there's, I mean, we're all on the same level playing field with God. Doesn't matter what our genealogy is or our ethnicity is. Now, there were a mixed multitude that went out with Israel. And I believe that some of them probably did participate in the Passover. They just were circumcised before that happened because that was one of the requirements to be able to eat the Passover lamb. So that you can kind of see a correlation there, too, where the mixed multitude possibly took part in this Passover, the first Passover. And just like for our salvation, there's no Jew or Greek. There's no distinction. We're all privy to this because of Yeshua. For everyone who calls upon the name of Adonai, calls upon the name of the Lord, will be saved. All right. I want to correlate that to Exodus chapter 12, verse 3. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one lamb for the household. So just as Yeshua is the lamb for all of us, it, goes, it harkens back to when the head of the house had to pick a lamb and inspect it for four days, and that was going to be the Passover lamb for that family. That family was specifically for, for, for them. And that's a hard thing. I mean, you get attached to this lamb knowing that you're going to kill it, knowing that that's what has to be done. Okay, and in Romans, back to Romans 5, just as the lamb was for a household, Yeshua is for the household of humanity. Romans chapter 5 beginning with verse 1. Therefore, having been made righteous by trusting, we have shalom, that is peace with God, through our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. I'll read that again. Therefore, having been made righteous by trusting or by faith, we have shalom, peace with God, through our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. And I want to correlate that to Exodus 12, 12 and 13, which reads, For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and strike down every firstborn, both of men and of animals, and I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt. I am Adonai. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. So there... Uh, so there will be no plague among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So how do we achieve peace with God? We achieve peace with God through the blood of the Passover lamb, through the blood of Yeshua, our Passover. And so the houses that were hit with the plague of death were the houses that didn't have the blood applied. And just think of the firstborn. A lot When you think of firstborn, you think of a baby. But no. I mean, the firstborn could have been an infant, but the firstborn could have been an 80-year-old man. So there were people of all age ranges dropping dead right and left. And it was only the blood that secured the safety and secured uh, the peace between that household and God. Yeah. All firstborn. Whether of animal or whether of human. Really? 
Yeah, even the firstborn, the firstborn animals died. So, I mean, you know, a firstborn, like I said, could be an 80-year-old man or it could be a, a two-month-old baby and everything in between. So there were firstborn dropping dead. All It could have been a husband of the house. It could have been, you know, uh, uh, somebody's uh, mother or, fa or somebody's father. It could have been, you know, somebody's grandfather. It could have been an, an uncle. I mean, just – yeah, it was crazy. It would have been crazy. So Romans 5 – Therefore, having been made righteous by trusting, we have peace with God through our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. And in Exodus 12, 13, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. I'm not going to go into your house and kill you. I'm going to pass over you. So there will no, be no plague among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This isn't a new thing. The Lord was instituting something very familiar to the Mesopotamian culture of that time. Whenever a king conquered a people, and that king was going to visit that province or visit that city, um, they would send their soldiers out ahead of time to see who was on the king's side. So there was usually some sort of emblem or some sort of sacrifice that had to be left on the door, on the threshold of the door. And if the soldiers seen the sacrifice or whatever token or emblem, they'd say, okay, these guys are good. We're going to let them go. If there was no emblem or no sacrifice on the threshold, those soldiers would go into the house and kill that family before the king passed through. So keep, you know, I'm sure that this was in the Israelites' mind because that was a very familiar custom and practice back in that day. And so this was actually being applied on, a, on, on such a cosmic, spectacular level uh, where this blood, you know, it was, like, it was like death was like the soldiers coming in ahead of time before God swept through, right, and visited his people. He wanted to make sure who was on his side, whoever was left living was on his side. And maybe that's also why a mixed multitude went out. Uh, because they're like, okay, well, this this God has the power to defeat all the pantheon of Egypt, plus kill all the firstborn. We're going to go with them. We're afraid if we stick around in Egypt, we're going to die. <laughs> These guys are doomed. We're out of here. Uh, okay. I also I want to finish up by reading in Romans chapter 8. Now, do you think that there might have been some people that were biting their nails. They did everything right. They inspected the land for four days. They slaughtered it. They applied the blood on the door. They ate it. Nothing was left over. They even had sandals on their feet, staff in their hand, loins girded, all that. Do you think maybe some of them were still maybe doubting and biting their nails saying, oh, I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll, I wonder if the Lord's going to kill us. I wonder if we did everything right. I'm sure there was maybe people that were afraid because what happens when you get saved? Devil comes along. Uh, you're not really saved. Oh, you just said a formula. You just said some magic words. You didn't really mean that. Oh, no, no. You're just the same old person. Don't, you know, you just can't say a bunch of words and poof, magically you're changed. You're not saved. So just as we have doubts of our salvation when we get saved, I'm sure the Israelites maybe had doubts if they were going to live, if their firstborns were going to survive, even though they did everything right to the letter. So in Romans 8, it says in 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua. Those who are in the house where the blood was applied 
There was no condemnation for them. They were secure. So if we're in Messiah Yeshua, meaning covered by his blood, there's no condemnation for us. That's right. You know who wasn't afraid though? Who? It's the last born. Yeah, the last born. They didn't have no fear. Hey, we're good. I'm the middle child. I'm the last child. Hey, I'm good. <laughs> I'm just going to say, actually, like probably the ones in the household that were truly like, I know, you know that I'm saved are the children. Yeah. Because well, they didn't have that part of them as an adult. The adult, like you said. Like God, God says, says in the Bible, "Come to Him as a child." Children believe. They do. You know, I mean, I mean, uh, God, we we lie to our kids from the get go. Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, Tooth Fairy, they believe. Right. Right. Yeah. So if somebody, if, if you know, said, "Okay, yeah, all that, great, right. all that stuff is all for the deceiver." Right. I'm not going to lie to Mark about this stuff. Well, because we never lied to Ariana about by it. The, by the time Marshall gets to the age where all of these fairy tales are usually told to children, my daughter will be old enough where, like, all of the fairy tales that her father told her, she won't believe them anymore. And I feel like if we don't lie to Marshall about this, then he'll believe us more with the Bible. Good because deal. it's not just a fairy tale. That's right. It's, it's the truth. That's why we never told Ariana. I mean, we're Jewish, so we don't celebrate Christmas, Easter, all that stuff anyway. Yeah. But we never told her. We never told her anything about the Easter Bunny or the Tooth Fairy or Santa Claus or anything because they're lies. Mm -hmm. Oh, but they're fun for the kids. Yeah, they may be fun for the kids, but when they get older and you try to tell them about Jesus, <coughs> oh, he must be a fairy tale too because it sounds just as fantastical as Santa Claus. Yeah. Sorry I if I stepped. Back growing up, but I believe it as an adult. If you're going to tell them about Nicholas, tell them the true story about Nicholas, where it was a man who actually brought gifts to the poor children yeah. in his village. Link it to the historical context of it, yeah. not the fairy tale aspect of it. All right, so last few verses I want to read. So we read there's no condemnation because those who are in Christ Jesus, just as there's no condemnation of death for those in the household where the blood of the Passover lamb was applied, we also have that assurance in Romans 8 38 and 39, where it says, where Paul says, for I am convinced. Now, when you're convinced, you know that you know that you know, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, you're, yeah, you know. For I am convinced that neither death. Okay. Well, the Israelites had to be convinced that if they had the blood applied to their doorpost and they were in the house, they had to be convinced that neither death could affect them. So Paul says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Messiah Yeshua our Lord. So if they only had, if the Israelites only had that verse in their homes, maybe that would have alleviated their fears. Um, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, because the fallen angels were became the first false gods. They fell to, according to uh, extra biblical literature, to Mount Hermon, Hermon, and became these false gods. But when judgment came during the flood, they were all bound in the abyss, and their offspring, which is the Nephilim, the uh, the human hybrids, they died in the flood too. So their bodies were destroyed, but their spirits were left behind, and they are what we recognize as demons. They are known as the new gods, the new titans. 
So if you look in any mythology, there's old gods and new gods. That's where it comes from. The old gods were the fallen angels. The new gods are the Nephilim, their offspring posing as these false gods. So neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities. So principalities could be, you know, earthly powers like Pharaoh, you know, the government or whatever. Things present, things that are happening right now, things that are coming down the pike. Nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. There's only one thing in this universe that was not created. We can't explain it. We can't understand it because we're created. Our understanding is finite. But God, he is the only thing that's uncreated. He is the uncaused cause. So it says, nor any created thing can separate us from the love of God. The love of God. The love that he sacrificed his one and only son. That kind of love, a sacrificial love, can separate us from the love of God that is in Messiah, or we could say that has been proved because of Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. All right, so I uh, hope you enjoyed the connection between the letter of Romans and Passover. So that was the Passover special for uh, today. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Wow, Lord, what kind of prayer can we pray to follow up what we just read and learned about. I mean, I get so frustrated praying to you sometimes, God, for the simple fact that human language is finite. I feel like I'm saying the same things over and over again because there's no new words. There's no other way to express the inexpressible feelings of thankfulness and gratitude and love and loyalty and, and gratitude and thanks that I feel for you. So we're just we're just regulated to our human language, Lord. And maybe that's why the scripture says our spirits pray for us. Our spirits cry out because our spirits could probably speak in a language we can't fathom or understand. And so, Lord, take our hearts and read them like a scroll because I'm speechless. I'm word. I'm at a loss for words to even thank you for what we just experienced and read through your word the connection between uh, the passover and exodus 12 and the book of romans I, I unbelievable we could see the origins and the fulfillment the ultimate fulfillment of those things and so we realize and acknowledge that we're only sitting here because of yeshua our passover lamb that's the only reason and that is grace, and that is mercy, and that is something that we do not deserve because we are nothing but outcast rebels who rebelled against your kingdom. No different than what Satan did. But it wasn't the angels that were necessarily created in your image. We were created in your image. We, You wanted us to be your image bearers, and that's why you wanted to redeem us, though we are frail and fallen and flawed. But we thank you that it's not always going to be that way. We thank you that in the resurrection, we're going to be as Yeshua is. And we thank you and we praise you for that. For we ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen.